I want to uh, bring you a lot of scripture this morning. That's a surprise after that last comment about creature of habit. I want to start with, with Acts chapter 13 and beginning with verse 14, and then we'll be just going along. Uh, but Paul and Barnabas traveled inland to Antioch of Pisidia. On the Sabbath, they went to the synagogue for services. Now, there's a real surprise for you. Uh, after the usual readings from the book of Moses and the prophets, those in charge of the service sent them this message, Brothers, if you have any word of encouragement for the people, come and give it. So Paul lifted his hand to quiet them and started speaking. Men of Israel, he said, and you God-fearing Gentiles, listen to me. And the thing is that this is basically the same pattern that is still used in synagogues today. They have a reading from Moses from, from the Pentateuch, and then they'll have a reading from the prophets, and then a, a message, a homily, a sermon, whatever you want to call it. And, and Paul took advantage of, of that opportunity. They recognized him as a, as a guest, uh, as a well-educated man in the scriptures. Maybe someone had found out that he was a student of Gamaliel, and man, we've got to have this guy speak to us. And so he stood and, and gave them a gospel message right there in the, in the synagogue, and I'm going to slip down to verse 42 as he comes to the end of it, and he's wrapped it all up. And as Paul and Barnabas left the synagogue that day, the people begged them to speak about these things again the next week. So he, they were interested. Many Jews and devout converts to Judaism followed Paul and Barnabas, and the two men urged them to continue to rely on the grace of God. And then we have a little uh, difference here. The following week, almost the entire city turned out to hear them preach the word of the Lord. And here's where the turn comes. But when some of the Jews saw the crowds, now we never had crowds like that when it was us preaching. And this guy walks into town and, and here the whole town comes out. They were jealous. So they slandered Paul and argued against whatever he said. I'm going to drop little messages through here. Don't worry when people are against you, when they criticize you. It doesn't matter what you do. There are some folks going to find fault with it. What, whatever Paul had said that day, they would have been against it. Kind of sound like politics, doesn't it? Did I say that out loud? Then Paul and Barnabas spake out boldly and declared it was necessary that we first preach the word of God to you Jews. But since you have rejected it, now I know not all of them did, but there were enough there, this bunch that stirred everything up, since you have rejected it and judged yourselves unworthy of eternal life, 
we will offer it to the Gentiles. Okay, now, hang with me here for just a moment because I'm going to make reference to something that we don't have a scripture. I didn't give it to them. But in Acts chapter 9, when Paul, Saul, was struck down on the road to Damascus, blind for three days, and God tapped Ananias on the shoulder and said, go baptize Saul, go pray for him that he can get his sight, baptize him, you know. And the Lord said, I have called him to reach the Gentiles. And kings and, and so on. But, but the main thing, the first thing on the list was Paul is to reach the Gentiles. Here we have in uh, verse, uh, uh, in chapter 13, go and we're going to offer this now to the Gentiles. This is early in his uh, missionary outreach or what we would call missionary outreach. So let's go to chapter 14, verse number 1. The same thing happened in Iconium. Paul and Barnabas went to the Jewish synagogue and preached with such power that a great number of both Jews and Greeks became believers. Some of the Jews, however, spurned God's message and poisoned the minds of the Gentiles against Paul and Barnabas. Same story Second verse, could get better, but it's going to get worse. <laughs> but the apostles stayed there a long time, preaching boldly about the grace of the Lord, and the Lord proved their message was true by giving them power to do miraculous signs and wonders. So when you run into opposition, don't quit. Just hang on. No telling what God is going to bring out of it. They're not slandering you. They're slandering the Lord you serve. Acts chapter 17 then. <clears throat> this, I guess this would be verse 3. Paul and Silas then traveled through the towns of Amphipolis. Get my Greek here in just a moment. And Apollyona. And came to Thessalonica, where there was a Jewish synagogue. As was Paul's custom, he went to the synagogue service. And for three Sabbaths in a row, he used the scriptures to reason with the people. He explained the prophecies and proved that the Messiah must suffer and rise from the dead. He said, this Jesus I'm telling you about is the Messiah. And I can verify that again today. This Jesus I'm talking about is the Messiah. <laughs> Hadn't changed, didn't get old, no expiration date. He's the Messiah. But some of the Jews who listened were persuaded and joined Paul and Silas along with many God-fearing Greek men and quite a few prominent women. But some of the Jews were jealous. I think we've run into that word before. So they gathered some troublemakers. <laughs> Sounds like they were troublemakers. 
Uh, but misery loves company, and uh, they wanted some backup. And uh, they they gathered some troublemakers from the marketplace to form a mob and start a riot. It's hard to start a mob or start a riot with just one. Hard to be a mob by yourself. So they got extra, <coughs> extra, uh, <coughs> whatever they got, troublemakers. And they attacked the home of Jason, searching for Paul and Silas so they could drag them out to the crowd. Uh, that didn't work. Uh, then we go to uh, Acts 17. You'll recognize that I'm leaving out a lot of stuff here because I'm trying to, to zero in on, on what I'm going to be talking about in a little bit. That very night, uh, Acts 17:10. that very night, the believers sent Paul and Silas to Berea. When they arrived there, they went to the Jewish synagogue. And the people of Berea were more open-minded than those in Thessalonica, and they listened eagerly to Paul's message. They searched the Scriptures day after day to see if Paul and Silas we're teaching the truth. Well, now that's an amazing, that's an interesting way to handle this situation is to go to the source material and see if it lines up with what's being said. Very unusual. It's just, uh, <clears throat> it's, they didn't hear it on the news broadcast. And they went to the Bible. As a result of this diligent searching, many Jews believed as did many of the prominent Greek men and women. Now, when they're talking Greek here, that it's not what we think of as Greek. Greek was a generic term, you think Gentile, somebody who's not Jewish. Uh, there were probably Greeks involved in it because this was the Greco-Roman world, but that included everybody. They, they divided the world into Jews and, and Greeks. Uh, but when some Jews in Thessalonica, now that's the place they came from, but when some Jews in Thessalonica learned that Paul was preaching the word of God in Berea, they went there and stirred up trouble. <clears throat> it wasn't just Paul that was a creature of habit. These folks had developed a habit of, of problem making. And... <clears throat> Chapter 17, verse 16, we're changing locations again. While Paul was waiting for them in Athens, he was deeply troubled by all the idols he saw everywhere in the city. He went to the synagogue to reason with the Jews and the God-fearing Gentiles. And he spoke daily in the public square to all who happened to be there. And so we've got this, this pattern again. And when he was preaching in the square, well, somebody heard him and he wound up on Mars Hill and uh, preached there. And, and uh, I have stood on Mars Hill, probably not where Paul spoke, and, but uh, it, it's quite a quite an elevated position, and you can, can see much of the city of Athens below you. And, and then chapter 18, verse 1, and then Paul left Athens and went to Corinth. We're getting quite a travel log this morning, aren't we? Uh, all over that part of the world. 
every Sabbath found Paul at the synagogue trying to convince the Jews and the Greeks alike. And after Silas and Timothy came down from Macedonia, Paul spent all his time preaching the word. He testified to the Jews that Jesus was the Messiah. But when they opposed and insulted him, Paul shook the dust from his clothes and said, Your blood is upon your own hand, head. I am innocent. I tried. I gave it a good shot. It's your fault now. Don't blame me. From now on, I will go and preach to the Gentiles. Now, that's what the Lord called him for in the first place. Go preach to the Gentiles. And he said, all right, from now on, I'm through. I've had it. You, you're set in your ways. You're like concrete, thoroughly mixed and permanently set. I'm going to the Gentiles. If he's in, uh, then we find him in Ephesus in Acts chapter 19. Then Paul went to the synagogue. I'm going to the Gentiles. And then we find him at the synagogue. Next chapter. And he preached boldly for the next three months, <laughs> arguing persuasively about the kingdom of God. Verse number 9. But some became stubborn, rejecting his message and publicly speaking against the way. So Paul left the synagogue, took the believers with him. Then he held daily discussions in the lecture hall of Tyrannus. Let me have my title slide, if you would, please. Plan B. Also C, D, etc. <laughs> Plan B. See, the thing is that Paul went to the Gentiles as plan B. I'll go to synagogue. I'm familiar with synagogue. I know the synagogue. I, I'm comfortable in the synagogue. Uh, I, I, I know the routine. I've been trained in, in what they talk about in the synagogue. That's my plan A. But every time Paul did his plan A, he ran into trouble and wound up with plan B. But plan B had been from the very first, from Acts chapter 9, God's plan A. Our plan B may have been God's plan A. And of course, when we go to plan B, sometimes B doesn't work out like we wanted it to. So we go to plan C. And maybe even over to plan D. And et cetera. And et cetera. And there are only 26 letters in the alphabet. 
Are you on plan B, which should be plan A? Let's have that next slide, please. The one about the synagogue. Now, this is, this is a, an archaeological type uh, slide, but it gives us a, a good view, an idea of what ancient synagogue might have looked like, probably did. I, when I saw this picture, and, and by the way, the, the uh, AV team has, works, this, this is not my doing. They, they find the pictures. I, I just tell them what I want, and they, they do, are doing an excellent job, an excellent job. Even with my instructions, they do it. Well, that makes it even more excellent job. But I was, as I looked at this, I was struck on, I remembered back to Myra in Turkey. Uh, this, Myra is the place where a fellow by the name of Nicholas, St. Nicholas, was the bishop there. And I'm, I'm look at this of, of how much this synagogue fits the, the architectural pattern of that early church back in the 200s. And, and I, I look at the synagogue and, and I think that there were, there were these synagogues scattered all over the Greco-Roman world, but the synagogue only came into being during the time of the Babylonian captivity and then from there it, it continued on up until this very day. But they didn't need synagogues before that. The synagogues were, were not God's plan, if you will, but God's plan was the, the temple where they would go three times in the year and they would worship God there. And, and then the rest of it would be uh, throughout the year would be in their homes and they would uh, have uh, Levites in the area who would teach them. God had scattered the Levites throughout the entire nation so that there would always be somebody nearby to teach. And yet, uh, by the time that Paul came along, the synagogue had, uh, because of the dispersion throughout the nation or throughout the world, had become the gathering place for the Jews. <clears throat> and as I've already mentioned, Paul was very familiar with, with the synagogue. He was very familiar with with all that was involved with it, he had been raised in Tarsus in, a, in an area that was far from Jerusalem and the temple. And so he, he felt comfortable there. So even after God called him and gave him a specific commission to go to the Gentiles, he went to the synagogue. We tend to be at ease with the familiar. And the familiar is most generally comfortable. A friend of mine <clears throat> talked about uh, some situations that were not real good that, that some people were living in. He said, but, but they're not interested in changing. They're not interested in doing anything different. They are like a worm raised in a bottle of horseradish. 
They think it's the sweetest thing in the world because it's all they've known. Paul went to the synagogue. That was his plan A. And repeatedly, from from the beginning in, in Acts 13, then we go to Acts 15 where they had the council and and Simon Peter's going to go to the Jews. Paul, you and your group go to the Gentiles. And so he went to the Gentiles at the synagogue. And then would go to plan B, which was really God's plan A. <clears throat> we are in a world upside down. Paul was in a world upside down. He turned it right side up, he and his crew. And they just, they were so used to it being upside down, they thought it had been turned upside down when it was really getting right side up. Plan A, plan B, plan C, D, E. We go to the familiar. We go to what we know. Many times, instead of where God wants to send us, we are familiar. Paul understood we're going to come together in the synagogue. We're going to have two readings. The first one will be from the Pentateuch, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. I will be able to tell you on the particular Saturday, the particular Sabbath day, where the reading in Deuteronomy will come from because we do it the same way all through the year. And through the year, we read those five books and then we start over and do the same thing the next year. I know I can look at the calendar and tell you what we're going to be reading this this, uh, Sabbath. I can have a pretty good idea of what we're going to be reading in the prophets and the other scriptures because it goes along with... Uh, it's called uh, a haftorah. It is called, it uh, lines up with what we have just read from Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. I understand that. I'm comfortable with that. I know what's going on. I, 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 I remember back well over 50 years ago, almost 60 years ago now, the first time I walked into a, a United Pentecostal church, And I was looking, where is that door? If you'll just get me out of here. I didn't know what was going on. I came from a church that kind of had a problem with deciding the difference between reverence and rigor mortis. And people getting down, kneeling in the floor and praying and, and praying out loud. And all of them at once? Well, we had one fellow that would stand, and he would pray. And while he was praying, nobody else was doing anything except listening or thinking about what they were going to do later. I was familiar with that. Next slide, please. But Paul was forced 
into the marketplace. In that part of the world, they, in Greek it's agora, we have a, a term that has come down to us, agoraphobia, which means a fear of wide open places. Acrophobia is high, fear of heights, but agoraphobia is fear of wide open places, people that don't want to go to Walmart. And so here we, we have this, the, these wide open places, these, these large expansive areas where people would set up, set up booths and, and they would sell and there, there was merchandise and people coming and going and hawking their wares and saying, oh, pretty lady, come, I, uh, can you come have tea with me? We've, I've got something I want to show you and they uh, got this, the, you know, all of this stuff. And I remember one time we were in Mexico and, and uh, we walked into a shop, oh, pretty lady, talking to my wife and she was right. Uh, uh, for you, I make a special deal. Uh, yeah. Since you're my first customer of the day, I'll make you a special deal. And, and that's, that's not just in Mexico. That's, uh, I've been accosted in, in Turkey and in Greece and in, in Ecuador. Well, wherever I've been, there's somebody there that wants to sell me something. That was God's plan A. Paul, I want you in the marketplace. I want you out there where the Gentiles are. I want you out there in the crowded roads of commerce. Telling people about me. But I'm more comfortable in the synagogue. I know the routine, and the problem is out there in the marketplace, they don't have a routine except for their spiel of trying to sell somebody something. It's not, it's not what I was trained in. Now, some of us have been trained in the marketplace, but Paul was a theologian. His training fit in exactly with the synagogue. But you see, God doesn't care so much about our training. It's more what he wants us to do and less about what our expertise is. God can make you the expert he wants you to be. I've heard of people who couldn't read a word. I heard of one fella that couldn't read and he learned to read the Bible and still couldn't read anything else. But there are those that have learned to read from the Bible. Now God may not teach you advanced calculus but you're probably not going to need advanced calculus. But he can teach you how to tell somebody Jesus loves you. 
And the love that Jesus loves you with is not some emotion that peaks and wanes. And the love of Jesus is a commitment for God so loved that even in the rough times, he was still giving. He was still, he, he was still loving. He loved those that drove the nails in his hands. Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. And he prayed for the, for the Sanhedrin. They don't know what they're doing either. Out in the marketplace, out there among people, may I, may I tell you that though I have had what many people would call a successful ministry, a success that if folks go by offices, I, I'm about as successful as you can get in, in our group. I don't see it as success. I see it as another way to serve. But there are so, if that's their mindset, I'm there. There are those as well. He, he built a church. <laughs> Not only the people, but the actual building. I was general. I was designer and general contractor on building that building. But to my mind. Looking back over all the years and all the things, my most effective time as a Christian has not been behind the pulpit. My most effective time as a witness of Jesus Christ has been those times when I've worked a secular job and rubbed elbows with people and told them about my Jesus and seen God bring them to himself. If you want to ask me about my successes, don't ask me about my offices. Don't ask me about buildings. Don't ask me about budgets. Don't ask me about record offerings. Let me tell you what's the, the most powerful thing that I have been involved in, not because I'm powerful, but because the God I serve is powerful, is out there in the marketplace rubbing elbows with people and telling them one way or another, Jesus loves you. Jesus died for you. He's interested in you. I'll, I'll put that up against all the sermons I've preached. You say, well, Brother Moss, you preached that sermon, and 17 got the Holy Ghost. You had that revival where it cleared the altars. Yeah, but somebody else brought them into the altars. The marketplace is not plan B. In God's sight, the marketplace, your job, your neighborhood, over the backyard fence, in the store where you're shopping, in the store where you're working, in the office where you've got your family picture on the desk, in the factory where you're turning out widgets. That's the place. That's plan A. Next picture, please. Now, here's fertile ground. <laughs> fertile ground, that's a river. Yeah. Well, river's always got banks. And on the banks of the river, 
bunch of women went to pray. And Paul happened to find them out there when he wasn't at the synagogue. When he wasn't wasting his time with a bunch of jealous folks that were going to be contrary to anything he said. He got out there among some people that already had something. But they were seeking more. And he brought them more. Here a while back, we, some of us got into a discussion about, uh, about what God could do and what God would do and, and how could God deal with somebody and, and use somebody that didn't have the Holy Ghost. And then somebody thought, well, the whole Old Testament's full of people God used that didn't have the Holy Ghost like we do. Moses didn't have what we got. Samuel didn't have what. Jeremiah, Isaiah, they didn't have what we got. So quit running yourself down. I can't do anything. You got more power than, the, than, than Moses did. Let's go to plan A. What we've been thinking was plan B. Or C or D or somewhere. So Lydia, the seller of purple, she was out there away from the busy marketplace, away from the buying and selling. You see, the thing is, as creatures of habit, we need to be careful that we don't get tied to one thing only when our God is a God of variety and He can reach people in the marketplace and on the riverbank. He can reach them in mass or He can reach them one at a time. I hadn't intended on putting this in, but just think about it. John 3.16, for God so loved the world. That's chapter 3. Chapter 4, he stopped at Jacob's well to talk to one woman. Because the world is individuals. In fact, it'd be, it'd be good if you'd go to the book of John and just start looking after chapter 3 at all of the times that Jesus was dealing with people and it was with individuals. He loved the world, but he expressed that love one at a time. That's how he worked with you. I don't care how many people were in that, that major crusade where you might have heard the gospel and got the Holy Ghost. He just dealt with you. Whatever else he was doing throughout the whole crowd was not all that important. It's not near as important as him dealing with you. So from the crowded, noisy marketplace... To the gently flowing river with its soft sound of water coursing between those banks, the gospel was plan A. You know, I didn't read about a lot of problems of folks being jealous of what Paul was saying at the riverbank. Just some people who were hungry, some people who were interested. 
some people who were ready to make a sacrifice and open up their home for Bible study. Uh, hmm. You mean you think Paul stayed there and didn't give a Bible study after Bible study in that home? What are you thinking? And then the next slide. We're back to an architect archaeology thing because this, you know, obviously this is not a jail that would hold a small prisoner. Those bars are a little far apart. They have had a major jailbreak from here sometime or another. <laughs> Reminds me of the joke I heard. I like puns, okay? Of a, I don't know if this is politically correct. I'm not much politically correct anyhow. Of a, a midget fortune teller who was thrown in jail. And when he broke out, the newspaper headline was small, medium, at large. <laughs> but you see, this was probably would have been on Paul's list of plans somewhere way down about Y or Z I want to be beaten and go to jail, and that's how I'm going to... No, this was, this was part of God's... At least he used it as plan A. When things get bad, when things don't work, when it looks like nobody likes you, and they're all against you, look for the opportunity to worship God, it might get somebody's attention. Things just might turn around if you worship God instead of taking a big old trip through the mully grubs. Even in jail. I had a situation come up. No details, please. Don't ask me. But I Somebody presented a problem to me, a situation, and in, in going through it, I, I came to a, a conclusion, uh, and it, it, the conclusion I came to really didn't have a whole lot to do with the problem. But my conclusion was I would rather be legally incorrect than scripturally incorrect. You know, that happened to Paul several times. I would rather, I'd rather they'd throw me in jail. And look, I've visited a lot of jails. Those are not good places to be. I'd rather they'd throw me in jail for doing something that was legally wrong, but scripturally right than to be out because I had been legally correct and scripturally wrong. You chew on that one a little while. What's your plan A? What's your plan B? What's more important? What's God's plan A? And God's plan B. Okay, I, I think we're ready, Joyce, for the last slide.
God's plan A for reaching the world, for reaching this part of the world, is not to get them all in this building. You're saying we shouldn't come? I didn't say that. Don't, don't hop off somewhere I'm not going. Yeah, we need to be here. Everybody that's here this morning needs to be here. We need to come, but this needs to be a charging station. This is not where we work for God. You say, well, <clears throat> we've hired church workers. And on Sunday morning, we're going to come and watch them work. Hey, you didn't hire me. And if you did, I need to see the paymaster because I'm not getting a check. Well, I, I was in church. I'm, I'm a Christian. You ever been to a garage? Did that make you a car? Christian's not just somebody that goes to church. Christian's somebody that's Christ-like. That's somebody that's trying to follow God's plan A for their life. A lot of people are not going to come in those doors, those doors. Only Bible they're ever going to read, or the first one they'll read, is you. You're an epistle. You're the message of God. You're a letter. Special delivery. Overnight delivery. You see, so many times our, our plan A is I'll go to church. I'll worship. I'll feel good. Oh, yeah. Comfort, there's that comfort thing. There's that familiarity. We're comfortable with what's familiar. But our familiarity ought not to be just coming to service. I'm not trying to scold this morning. I'm trying to challenge. Because I'm as guilty as anybody. But as I go back in memory, I remember working in that print shop, walking around the table, round and around and around, gathering up the various sections for the book and put them together. And we'd, I'd go make a trip around the table and set that book down, and then we'd make another trip around the table and we'd set another book on top of that. And we'd, have, we'd gather all of this and, and around and around. And they, were, they hired some, some college boys to come in and help us with that. I was full-time employee, and these college boys would come in after class. And I remember one of them. This was back in hippie days, and they were, you know, kind of long-haired and sloppy-looking. One of them didn't know what a belt was. 
And about halfway up the table on each, on each side, he'd stop and grab and then go back to it. But walking around and around and around that table, got got to do something. We got to talking. <clears throat> now you hear me in the pulpit, but really I'm not much of a talker. Again, two ears, one mouth, everything I say I already know. But what goes in here might be something new. We got to talking, and I got to inviting him to church, and he and his brother and a friend, and they came. And then they brought others. That year, I baptized about 48 kids from that, that college. In 1964, we buried Nancy Taylor. Oh, I didn't tell you about Nancy. She was one of the ones that some of that group brought in. The ones that I had witnessed to, and, they, and then they reached out to others. And, and, and Nancy, well, first time I ever saw her, she was 16 years old. She had a cigarette in her hands like this. She was home on a pass. A pass from the mental institution, the state mental institution. She was there because of her drug use, because of her other conditions. But she had seen these boys that happened to have a place across the street out worshiping God in the front lawn. <laughs> they didn't keep it in the synagogue. So she went over to, to see them. And I, I happened by, and there she was. She was on all kinds of medication, could hardly get the cigarette to her mouth, 16 years old. God delivered her. She got off of all of the medications. She quit her smoking. She, lots of things she quit. The guys that had been out in the front yard worshiping, they weren't dealing drugs anymore. They were dealing Jesus. And then Nancy got a, an inoperable cancer. She died young, early 30s, mid-30s, somewhere in that neighborhood. Left four children. Three of them went to Tupelo. <clears throat> oh, that... I didn't mention that the, the guy that was hitching up his britches 
He went to Colorado and brought his friend back. And it was those two boys that, that reached Nancy. One of those, the, the one that came from Colorado, his name was Larry Booker. It, it, they didn't come in because of my oratorical skills in the pulpit. They came in because someone was in the marketplace. Didn't have to be me. They, they didn't, they didn't, they knew I was a preacher, but so big deal. Must not be much of one he's having to work here. But something got a hold of them because they heard the message. They heard that Jesus loves you, that there's more to it than just going to church. There's more to it than, than just what you've been involved in. There's, there's more to it. What's your plan A? What's your plan B? And how about for somebody here that doesn't have the Holy Ghost this morning? Are you stuck with plan C or D for your life? You may think church is plan B at best, but, but having the Holy Ghost is God's plan A for all of us. We're here to tell you this morning, I'm here to tell you, that whatever you've got planned for from now on, God's got something better. I was enrolled in the aerospace engineering program at the University of Texas. I had it all laid out, mapped out. I had a PhD in sight. Oh, you, you were still a freshman. Big deal. I had, I had goals. I had to. But you see, the thing is that God had a better idea. Mine was just playing G or H or somewhere down there, and I thought it was A. And two, two months before I graduated from high school, I ran into a Pentecostal on a school bus. I'd have never gone to their synagogue. When I did, after meeting that Pentecostal, I wanted out of there. Because it wasn't comfortable and it wasn't familiar. And it wasn't one of those places, one of those churches where if somebody died of a heart attack, that the, that the EMT men, the emergency technicians, would have carry out five people before they got the right one? No, 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 no. Just a, just a high school kid telling about Jesus, being friendly.
So many things I was told just went It was only remembering them later that, oh, they told me the story, the whole thing, and I didn't even realize what they were saying. Tell them. Tell them. Let God deal with getting it through to them. But we've got to give him something to work with. Oh, but I... I'm so familiar. It's so comfortable going to church. Fine. Come on. Glad you're here. Be looking for you. But this is not plan A. God's plan A is out there. God's plan A is out there. I know this is not very evangelistic. But I'm trying to to put a goal up here and trying to shift our our thinking. We're in a world upside down. We're in a world where everything is, is, is shaky, where, where things are not like they were. And if you think it's been bad this far, just wait until some of this stuff that's going to be the repercussion and the echo of what we've been through begins to hit. There are going to be lots of people that don't know what to do. And we've got the answer. Live for God. Live for God. Live for God. They're going to, they're going to have a, a... You talk about an uncomfortable... I don't know what inflation's going to do. I do know that in the Weimar Republic, that you could take a wheelbarrow full, literally a wheelbarrow full of money to buy a loaf of bread. I've seen pictures of their money in the streets and them washing it down the gutters to get it out of the way. In Rwanda, there is, they made, I believe it was a 100 trillion, whatever their money is, dollar note. Somebody was selling them $49 a piece. When your money's not worth anything, there's going to be a lot of people looking for something that is worth something. We've got it. It's plan A. Plan A is repent of your sins. Be baptized in Jesus' name for the remission or the washing away of those sins. Be filled with the Holy Ghost, evidenced by speaking in other tongues as the Spirit gives the utterance. This is not something we fake. It's not something that we just do. It's the Spirit of God moving within us. And that's not the end of it. That's just the start. Then live like he wants you to live. Reach out to others. That's where we are this morning. Reach out. Reach out. What's your plan A? Oh, I'm, I'm going to go to church and I'm going to worship. and uh, Yeah, that's, that's, that's the B part of it. 
necessary, it's essential, we're looking for it, you, you got you to do that. But that's not the main thing. The main thing is reaching this world for Jesus. Matthew 28, 19 does not say have perfect attendance at church. It says go disciple, baptize them, teach them. Hallelujah. Could we stand this morning? This altar would be open if you'd like to come and talk to the Lord a while, but if you want to stay right where you are and take some time to just talk. Lord, I'm comfortable with what I'm doing. What do you want me to do? souls they're waiting to hear what you've got to say I don't know what to do he'll teach you Oh, <laughs> 